Welcome to Origin Gates Daily Podcast, Wisdom's Echo. This is Grant Mahoney, and I'm going to continue my series on Kingdom Fathers. <clears throat> so last time we were looking at, and I sort of ended up speaking a little bit about the um, tabernacle, and then I ended basically saying that is I'm coming from the position is that we do not seek Yahweh. It's all about Yahweh seeking us. And so I want to continue from there, and it's not really... It's not even really about the church begging, oh, Yahweh, please come down and take our world over and establish your kingdom, because that's not really what's going to happen, because Yahweh has already established all that in the heavenlies, because he wants it more than you and I want it. And this is his will, and Yahweh wants to take back over. And your job and mine is literally is to facilitate, as it were, a transfer of government and leadership from those who are ruling unrighteously, and I don't mean this in a militant uh, sense. We have to understand that, um, because our battles are fought in the in the in the realms of the spirit. But I'm not even talking about spiritual warfare. I'm talking about having kingdom fathers that we learn under, that we know how to govern and rule. And so, there is a need that's created in every single individual that nothing can satisfy except Yahweh's presence. And I don't know if you've lived long enough to discover that, but Pascal, the French philosopher, talked about a vacuum inside man shaped like God that nothing else can fill but God. And that is really the truth. There is a vacuum in all of us. Everyone is searching for something, and it's that God vacuum, as they call it, the Yahweh vacuum in you and me. And so man was literally created to worship Yahweh. And whenever Yahweh's presence shows up, even in an unrighteous, unconverted world, there is such a line of demarcation, such a uniqueness, such a difference that he brings to the table from what anyone has experienced that his kingdom is immediately viewed as so far superior to anything else that has proceeded that man has no option or alternative but to submit. Doesn't the word say, at the name of Yeshua, every knee has to bow? And so... Do you know what the, the word in the Old Testament is for worship? There's seven Hebrew words for praise, but there's only one word that's used over and over again in the Old Testament for worship. And we have to understand that praise and worship are two different things. Praise is what you do in the outer court, and worship is what you do to get into the inner court, and then you continue to worship because it's the glory that happens after you've been through worship. And that brings you into the most holy place where you can begin to engage the Shekinah, the holiness of Yahweh. And so we enter in praise and then we move into worship. And when we move into worship, what it does is it begins to attract His presence. And that is when the veil starts to open. Or in our case, it's already been removed. And it's already been taken away. And it's because Yahweh did that, not man. He did that supernaturally. Now we have to understand that the Hebrew word for worship is Shekinah. And what it means is, and, and a lot of the Muslims do this, they've literally taken it as what we should be doing, and you probably know what it means. It means to put your head, to bow down and put your head against the floor until your head is lower than your heart. And so we have to reach that place that you and I can put our head lower than our hearts and give ourselves completely in devotion and emotion to Yahweh. Well, let me say it another way. In John chapter 4, uh, Yeshua is talking about worship. The hour has come when the true worshippers, the Father seeketh. So you know true worshippers. The word for worship there is a whole other word, and it's the New Testament, so it's a Greek word called proskuneo. 
And you know what it means? It's so interesting. This is what it literally means. It means to get so excited that you like a dog that licks its master's hand. And I don't know about you, but if you have dogs, if you've ever been away for a while and you come home, how crazy and how nuts your dog goes to see you because it's so glad to see you. And you reach down and you try to pat and all he wants to do is lick you. That's literally what that word means, that word proskuneo. It's the, so Yahweh is seeking people to get so excited about him that they're like a dog welcoming their master back home that just wants to lick his hand. This is the kind of devotion that is maybe beyond the kind of devotion that is experienced and, and um, expressed in the average Christian circles today. So once again, while you're listening to this, put your hand on your head and say, if I can change my mind, I can change my world. So why is it important that you and I worship? Because as long as you're just praising, you're in the outer court. You don't even begin to move forward towards the presence until you begin to worship. And it's in worship when your head is lower than your heart, where you begin to get out of that space of your head and you begin to move into the realm of where you forget about everything. As you move into worship, then what happens is His presence and the holiness of Yahweh begins to become attracted. And that is when you re-enter back into divine government. And that's the point I'm trying to make. Once we can get into the presence of Yahweh and you begin to look around, guess what's happened? The economy that's around you that has been you know, in the dumps for the last two years, now it's got gold all around it. Your marriage that's been a mess has now got gold all over it. The thorns have been cured. The very curse that brought poverty is now covered with gold why because you're back in the garden and this is one of the things is to learn to live in the presence where the outside influence doesn't influence you you influence the outside because you're in the presence of Yahweh because you carry the presence of Yahweh with you and so not only uh, that the, the, those two angels that have preserved the way for us the two cherubim back in over the Ark of the Covenant, literally welcoming us every time back into the divine presence of Yahweh or the government of the kingdom of God once again. And so there are many aspects about this. Worship is not about you going into church or your prayer closet to get your Holy Ghost heroin fix. It's about Yahweh releasing something in the earth that occurs when His people are in His presence. You build it, I will come. You create the stargate, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave my world. I'm going to come back to this world that I've been shut out of. And this is what he wants to do. And so one of the things that was unique about the tabernacle um, was the order of priesthood. Originally, we have to understand that it wasn't Yahweh's intention for one person, one man, to go into the presence one day a year. Did you know that? That's not. That was never his intention. When you read Exodus 19 and 6, it says, uh, Yahweh said, I will make you a kingdom of priests. In other words, he was speaking to the whole nation, a kingdom of priests. He wanted all of the 12 tribes to be priests unto Yahweh, not just one and not just one person. And so when Yahweh speak, started speaking from the mountain, you know, when, when you look at that, they ran for 22 miles because they were so afraid. And this is what Hebrew scholars say. They didn't stop running for 22 miles. And then Yahweh said, well, if I can't have all 12 tribes, then I'm going to take well one, just one of them. And so then they said, we don't want any of that either. So Yahweh says, okay, I'm going to take one man. And even that one man was terrified. And so he only went behind the veil once a day. And when you look at some of the scholars, they say it may, maybe was only for 15 minutes. And so it's absolutely mind-blowing for me what one man in the presence of Yahweh for 15 minutes, one day out of the year, could release over the nation of Israel. 
what would happen when you and I and all of Yahweh's people learn to dwell in the secret place? What's going to be released then? It's just there's so many things that I found just doing the study and, and the challenge that I've seen in terms of what are we affecting in the earth. What if Yahweh's people started living the presence-driven life? You know, what's going to be released? You know, if one man can do it, and remember the whole nation was supposed to be in Yahweh's presence, not just one day out of the year for 15 minutes. So if one man could go behind the veil for 15 minutes and open heaven over Israel for the next 12 months, what will happen when Yahweh's people learn to go back into the presence of Yahweh and and all the order given to detail. The detail is important because if we did it wrong, it messes something up. So Moses got it wrong. He struck the rock. And so to begin with that, that in itself is pretty amazing that the rock followed them. Paul said a rock followed Israel. Wherever Israel went, they looked and there was this rock following them. I mean, have you ever even just thought of that? Did it grow legs? Did it walk? Did it levitate? Scripture says it was there, gushing rivers of water in the desert. And what he should have done is he should have spoken to the rock, but he struck it. And as I said, that one little detail cost him his journey into the promised land. He broke typology. At least that's one of the things I believe that's happened. And so what's going to happen when Yahweh's people inside divine structure and order are restored within the body? You know, now part of what has to be restored is an understanding of the leadership of that structure. The structure has incredible importance, not only in terms of its future impact upon salvation and all kinds of stuff. It has, there are so many other things important to that structure. That tabernacle is a perfect portrayal of everything that Yahweh himself was wanting to establish on the earth. And it wasn't just concerning Calvary, which is where most of our studies have carried us to in studying the tabernacle. It's to go beyond that. The tabernacle also un contains an understanding of governmental order that I believe Yahweh is trying to, to restore. And so woven into the curtains on the inside of the most holy place are stars and cherubim that adorn that place. And so literally, when you, when you step through that veil, and if we can step through that veil now, and I know there isn't a veil, but we can step into the realms of the kingdom, you are literally back in the kingdom. You are back in the Garden of Eden. We are literally going back to the foundations of creation to redo this thing right. And so uh, I'm going to try and cover very briefly the, the seven dimensions of kingdom leadership or fatherhood. So there are these seven levels, and I, and I want to look at them very briefly. So the first level is advisor. So the first dimension of kingdom leadership is that of an advisor. Advisors serve when and if they are needed. Kings have advisors. Presidents have advisors. Cabinet ministers serve in advisory capacities. When questions arise, and whoever the president is or the prime minister He's going to call his advisors so to get input. And ultimately, he makes the decision. They don't advise him on every single thing. Some things he knows, and he knows what to do without them saying anything. And some things they may flat out disagree with one another or with him. But ultimately, the decision rests with the president. The second one is a teacher. A teacher does more than advise. A teacher imparts information. You go to school to learn. You know what a test is for? How many of you have ever had a test in school? How many of you have ever had a test in life? How many of you are going through a test right now? These are questions. The interesting thing about tests is that there are no early warning systems for tests. Yahweh does doesn't say to you, I mean, I wish he did, you're about to enter a test right now, Grant. 
Tests are not for the purpose of embarrassing you or making you fail. That's not the purpose of a test. Tests are for the purpose of seeing if you have received the instruction. And if you receive the instruction, you get graduated to the next level. And so teachers impart information. The next uh, dimension of kingdom leadership is a coach. A coach trains you and he puts you through drills until things become second nature. They drive you, they push you until you're at breaking point. Teachers don't do that. Advisors don't do that. But coaches push you to discover what your abilities are, push you to discover what your limits are, as it were. They make you do things that you don't understand. You don't know why you're doing them. And remember the karate kid, wax on, wax off. He didn't understand why he was doing it. But when the fight came, he understood why he was doing it. And so we know that coaching pays off. And coaching makes coaches make you do things you don't want to do. The next level is a leader. Leaders provide direction, and that is their responsibility. Leaders are bold, and they say, this is the way we're supposed to do. I mean, this is the way we're supposed to go. And we hardly have that kind of leadership in governments and churches anymore. Leaders say, this is what we have to do. Storm that hill. That's our objective. And do what you need to do to make it through to the next stage. And this is what leaders do. Leaders provide us with direction. The fifth one is a mentor. A mentor is different from any of the others because mentors help you discover your gift and your calling. And then what they do is they help you develop it. And in doing this, they release you into your calling. And it's really important because usually what happens is when your gift is activated in the presence of someone else who has a similar gifting, who has developed that gifting and perfected to a greater degree that you have, you don't even know that you have a gift. Remember Saul, when he got into the presence of the prophets, he started prophesying. His gift was activated when he got others around him who could mentor him. And something woke up inside him. So that's what mentors do. They wake something up inside of you. And the next one is father figures. And these are revered and honored for what they represent and the price they have paid for what they believe and stand for. And so you can be a father figure to a movement, to a nation, to an ideal And apart from these six, there is one more. And this is the one that I really want to focus on, which is kingdom fathers. And this is where I'm going to end. And so none of the other six have the power to impart DNA. Only kingdom fathers can impart DNA. And this is what has been missing from the governmental structure. We haven't known what kingdom fathers are. The the problem is people come and they connect with a spiritual leader. And then to some, they are an advisor, to some a mentor, to some a teacher, to some a coach, to some a father figure. And the thing is this, is that you know who determines at what level you connect with a person in your life, be it a mentor, coach, teacher, whatever, you know who determines that? Not the individual, you do. And so in the kingdom, spiritual discernment is required for you to be able to receive anything from Yahweh. Without spiritual discernment, you do not receive. This is what Yeshua says. It says, if you receive a prophet as a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. But a prophet's also a righteous man. So suppose you received him as a righteous man. In that case, you're only going to receive a righteous man's reward. It's not the individual that's changed. It's your spiritual discernment. So you and I determine what we get, which is why you can go to church and you can hear someone and you can be moved powerfully by the word that they speak in. And someone on the other side of the, the room who's sitting in the same meeting doesn't get anything. It's not because Yahweh isn't there. It's because that person does not have the discernment to be able to receive what that individual is imparting at that moment. So you and I have to know who the kingdom fathers in our life are. Paul says it clearly, we do not have many spiritual fathers. We may have 10,000 teachers, but there are very few spiritual fathers. And this is one of the prototypes that was established in the tabernacle. Only spiritual fathers 
can impart a double anointing and only and only kingdom fathers can impart dna so i hope you've enjoyed this bless you guys